Hi, I'm BJ, and this is the Arcane Alienist Podcast. Okay, it's time for RPG a day, uh, day number 11. But before we get into the topic, let's hear some calls. Iconography. Iconography. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate that. That's what I get for not listening to the whole episode before calling in. You were saying it right the second part of the episode, so good job. As far as other podcasts... Don't forget Kevin over at the Redcast Podcast. He's doing weekly summaries. And if you can spare five or six minutes a day to check out YouTube, Arlen Walker on Live from Pelham's Wasteland is doing this on YouTube. So, great job. Keep up the great work and talk to you soon. Thanks for the uh, the reminders of those, Jason. Yeah, I didn't... Um, I forgot about Arlen doing it on his YouTube channel as opposed to his podcast. So, everybody should check out Live from Pelham's Wasteland, both as the Anchor Podcast but also the YouTube channel. And yeah, the, the red cap, I, I, his, um, I didn't realize he was doing it cause he wasn't putting it out every day. It just kind of came as a weekly summary. I think yesterday that was the first one. So yeah, everybody check out the red caps podcast as well. Um, for his, uh, I think it's going to be weekly summaries of, of all the topics for RPG, RPG a day month. Um, also again, you know, both of those are great content creators, that, that podcast here on Anchor with the rest of us. Hey, BJ, this is Carl giving you a call and really enjoyed your spin on Trust today and you talking about the, some of your world lore. I actually enjoyed that. Um, um, if you listen to Jules, uh, she's doing her Fate of Eisen, and I think it's pretty cool listening to your podcast when you drop in your world lore, whether it's recaps or uh, or like you did today talking about some of the saints that your player characters characters worship so pretty good stuff i would say i i think it is interesting that that change but i think i feel like in the real world historically the change you talked about where we used to when we played define ourselves with one deity pick a patron deity but now it, it only matters if you're a divine caster and i wonder i feel like that's in the real world because we historically people worship pantheons and gave lips to deities based on whether they were going out to sea where they were planting crops whether they were praying for the sick and then it was particular people uh, who were priests who had that divine patron specifically so i guess they would also give service to other elements of their, in their, I don't know, I guess I'm thinking of like, off the top of my head, both Roman and, and Norse culture, right? There would be a priest of a particular deity, but I'm sure that outside of their priestly duties, they would pray, and if they were the you know, a worshiper of, or a priest of Jupiter, they'd still give service to another god um, at a, for a particular time. Anyway, two minutes of rambles, probably enough. Thanks for the calls, Carl. Um, appreciate the, the the kind words there. Yeah, I think, um, and and I should I should acknowledge Jules was doing that before I was relating everything back on her, her RPG a day to uh, 
to her own home campaign. Uh, in fact, I, I, I think I intended to do that when I started doing related things on mine, and I, it slipped my mind. So that makes me a bad podcaster, a bad community member, I guess. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, th- I think you're right, at least in, in ancient Greece and Rome, you would have... Um, most people just revered all the gods, and, and at the particular appropriate time and place, there'd be you know festivals or holidays that were devoted to certain gods. Um, and then if, if you're engaging in a specific activity, you know, kind of as needed, whether you're going on a sea voyage or, or going to war, you, you might offer a, a sacrifice or a prayer to the specific god or, or goddess that portrayed that. And then there would be mystery cults devoted to one single deity, um, that you kind of had to had to actively seek out and join. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, it's not my area of expertise. Um, and so you had the mystery cults that were devoted to one god, and then but the public festivals and, and the the state religion and everything were all you know, the entire pantheon was revered, and each god got its its due based on its holidays and and festivals and and times of the year and things like that. Uh, I don't know as much about the Norse. Um, you know, uh, I think I remember if you ever watch uh, Jackson Crawford's YouTube, Old Norse YouTube channel, I think there's one where he translates a poem where he mentions a, a character being designated as a priest of uh, Frey, maybe. Uh, so then maybe they did have, I don't know if they had like the, the dichotomy between a generalist priest and mystery cults or, if, or how that worked. I don't know as much about Norse, uh, even less than I do you know, authoritatively about Roman and Greek, because <laughs> so much of what happens when we see our modern portrayals of them in film and, and, and books and comic books and things like that is that they're not that accurate to, to the way things were. I do remember that in Forgotten Realms, in the old the old gray box set that came out uh, for first edition D&D, uh, they mentioned that, that the average person in Faerun has more of that approach. They don't have one patron deity. They just pray to whatever God seems appropriate based on the, the moment, unless they're a cleric or a, or a paladin or someone like that, um, that, that a character could have a patron deity that they just completely attach to, but that most people in Faerun, again, it, it's, it depends on what they're up to and, and who seems to be, based on their, their spheres of influence or their portfolios are, are there at the moment, that's who they'd pray to, which is why you get you know, a, a, a sea goddess who is evil, and yet is very powerful because she has lots of people constantly praying to her because, you know, <laughs> all the things, the importance of the sea for, for, for various uh, human activities. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. I, I actually think that idea that there's a, a, a pantheon of gods and everybody just picks one is really kind of a fantasy trope or kind of a D&Dism. Uh, I don't know if it started with D&D or maybe it started earlier in just sort of fantasy fiction. Uh, you know, of course, you know, got like Conan, you know, Krom is his god. And sometimes they kind of, they if anybody prays to a god in, in, in the Conan stories, they typically is just one god that they follow, whether they're a priest or not. Um, so, yeah, uh, good points. Thanks for the call. Hey, Barry, just listening to your episode on trust. Here's something. Do you need tra- trust? to have faith I kind of don't think so I think faith supersedes trust uh, I don't think the gods care if you trust them or not 
They just care that you do what they tell you to do and that you follow their bidding, that you have faith in what they're doing is good or bad or whatever your alignment is. Yeah, I, I don't think whether you trust them really comes into it. I think the gods or your otherworldly patrons or any of that stuff, they all transcend trust. I don't know. It's just something I was thinking about. What do you think? Peace out. Uh, who's Barry? Hey, Joe, that is a, that's a really interesting idea. I, I've had to think about that a little bit before I've recorded my response. Um, that's a good point. Is there a difference between faith and trust? Is faith a type of trust? Is trust a type of faith? I don't know. Yeah, that's, I, I think the words sometimes are used interchangeably and, and as synonyms, but yeah, that's a good, good question to ask. I don't know if I have a definitive answer. I, I would say that the thoughts that that prompted for me to think about is it kind of depends on how you perceive a deity. Um, you know, if, if a god or a deity is uh, just kind of an authoritarian figure, uh, yeah, it may just be that, that faith is a matter of um, obedience, of, of uh, fear, maybe even, um, or uh, something like that, that you just do what they say because that's just the way it is and, and that's what's in your best interest whether you like it or not. <laughs> I don't know if that's what you're getting at, but uh, but that is, and there are certainly people God's like that in D&D and in fantasy fiction, and there are people who approach religion like that in the real world. Um, but on the other hand, can you have a relationship with a God that is a little more, I don't know, not demanding, not authoritarian in nature, but more um, how intimate, more, um, I hate to use the word loving, <laughs> but it, it's a little softer. It's not about complete obedience. It's about, you know, striving for a higher ideal and trusting that if you do your part, that that, that patron deity will give you a nudge, uh, look out for you, kind of the way a good parent or a good friend would. Um, so, yeah, I think it probably depends on how the individual character approaches their religion or their relationship with a patron deity. And I think that's kind of what is interesting when I think about the, the saints we sort of created for the mythic world of Erd. I kind of view that, and I don't know if that's the player's intention, but when I think of kind of how I viewed it is that's sort of, you know, the more militant patron saint, Cyrus the Bloody, that he would be more, you obey, because the world descends into chaos if we don't do what we're supposed to, and, you, you know, you listen to me, kind of a patron, versus um, a couple of the other ones, like like Leilani, who's the merciful, would be much more of a, not a heavy-handed, demanding obedience, but more... You know, I'm going to show you a better way to care for your fellow, your, you know, other other beings in the world, other other sentient creatures, all, or even all life. Um, and and it, we just want to support you in striving for that higher ideal. So, and again, there are people who approach their religion in the real world both of those different ways. So, uh, not to get into a, a controversial debate or anything on that, but so yeah, that is an interesting thought. I'm glad you raised that point. Um, so. Cool. Thanks. So the topic for today is wilderness. Uh, obviously, wilderness is very important to role-playing games. As a lot of times, 
traveling through the wilderness, exploring the wilderness are, are, are essential components, um, take up a big part of the game. Um, particularly if you're talking about fantasy, uh, wilderness, the fantastic creatures oftentimes have ties to the forest. The wilderness is the sort of oftentimes caught up in the the dynamic between law and order and chaos, whereas the wilderness represents chaos and civilization represents order. Um, so, yeah, the wilderness is very important in role-playing games. But I think what I think of when I saw this prompt was, um, for example, a few weeks ago I got to go kayaking down the, uh, the Illinois River in, in northeastern Oklahoma. It's a wonderful, beautiful um, scenery, wonderful landscape. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been floating on rivers and, and, and boating before, rivers and lakes. Um, in fact, I think I came up with an entire campaign idea that I never saw one time, just because I was tooling around in a pontoon boat with my parents in a lake, um, just taking in the scenery. And, and I think that's one thing to think about is, uh, Taking in the scenery you know, can help spark your imagination for role-playing games, whether it's boating on a river or a lake, just going on a walk or a hike in, in a, a park, um, or even if you're just, for, just going for a drive in the country, kind of away from the city where maybe there's still undisturbed forest or other uh, natural environments. It doesn't just have to be the forest. I mean, you can think about deserts. And other kinds of biomes. I've also the, the the times I've visited the uh, you know the Grand Canyon area and the Four Corners area in the desert southwest. I've been really inspired with ideas for role playing games as well. So uh, I think that's an important thing to, uh, to to be able to take in the wilderness. And, and one thing in particular, when when we go into the wilderness as people in the real world, we get a a three dimensional view of things standing vertically and looking around the horizon. You know, we have a horizontal view of things versus when we play oftentimes because we use miniatures and battle maps, whether they're virtual tabletop or, or live and in person, we're doing, taking a top-down view. Um, and I think sometimes, and, and that's that's purely utilitarian, uh, and it's helpful for positioning and, and, and um, determining kind of movement and things like that during a game. But I think we tend to start thinking of the D&D world from a top-down view, at least during encounters. Um, you know, looking down at the map and, and, and from, from a, above, as opposed to thinking that our characters see the world from that horizontal view that we see our own world. And so we see a patch of green on a map that's supposed to represent tree, tr trees and it blocks a line of vision and we don't know what's on the other side of it. Um, but I think sometimes we don't actually see in our heads that, I mean, some of you might, but I think, I think there's a tendency to not think of that as trees the same way. Like right now, I'm looking out my back window at a copse of trees uh, in my house. You know, I don't see it like that when I'm looking at a, at a map when I'm playing D&D, &D, even though my character does. Um, unless, of course, something happens to force you to kind of realize it, the three-dimensional nature of that. Say like a, a giant spider or something jumps down from the top of a tree to attack you. Then you start up to imagine a little bit more of a 3D space. But yeah, I just I think that's a good idea for all of us when we're thinking about wilderness exploration, wilderness encounters. 
things in the game that involve the wilderness to remember that the way our characters see it in more of a horizontal, three-dimensional um, aspect. And I think that might enrich kind of the imagination that you have while you're playing the game. Anyway, that's my thoughts on wilderness. So I want to thank my callers, Carl Rodriguez of the uh, Geomologist Presents uh, and Joe Richter of Hindsightless Podcast. Remember, both of those guys are doing RPG a day. also want to thank Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Always uh, enjoy getting his calls. And uh, check out those other people he, uh, he, he mentioned in his calls. Live from Pelham's Wasteland from Arlen Walker that is a podcast here on Anchor, but his daily stuff for RPG a day is currently on his YouTube channel. And also the Red Caps podcast, another great podcast. Um, so check those out. And I'll be back tomorrow. And that's it for this episode of The Arcane Alienist. I want to thank Dave Bone for the cover art that I use for the episodes. Check out ironseer.com. And the music is Come and Get It by Scott Holmes Music. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, give me a call sometime through the Anchor app or at the Anchor website. And I'll be back in the future with another episode.